As we enter into this season, uh, which I think is a wonderful time for us to refocus on uh, how much God loved us, that he, he left the glories of heaven, clothed himself in a human body. You can read all that in, in John, the first chapter. And he became a human being, and we beheld the one and only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And he clothed himself in a body. And now, I say that I always believe Easter eclipses Christmas. However, y- y'all know this, there is no Easter without Christmas. I mean, if, 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 if he didn't come, if he wasn't born, and so he said he would be called Emmanuel, God with us. He also is titled a few other things. He's called the Messiah. Now, Messiah is a word you've probably heard if you've been in the church world. It, it means the anointed one. Often in the New Testament, you could say Christ or the anointed one. But probably the better understanding is we're more probably familiar with the word, word uh, Savior. Savior. He's the Savior. He saves us from our sins. And John the Baptist said that. When, when Jesus came to be baptized, he pointed him out and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In other words, here is our Savior or our Messiah. He can be Messiah to you. It's funny because music is so moving, and as I get older, I I seem to get more tender. I have to watch things like that ten times so I won't come up here bawling through it. I I cry through that when I I think of, of how much he loves us. And there's an interesting thing about God. He he does global things, and then he does individual things. Because he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the whole world. And sometimes we feel like we're just generically thrown into that. You know, yeah, okay, I know he forgives and loves because he loves the whole world. But then he's very specific. I want to be your Messiah. Not just the Messiah of the world, that too, but yours personally. And the Apostle Paul says it from the opposite direction of John the Baptist. He says, not only has Jesus forgiven our sins, but he's forgiven the sins of the whole world. So it's very global and it's very personal as well. And so I invite you today as we move into this season, if you just kind of thought, yeah, God generally loves me and I generally love him, I want to ask you, would you take it closer to home this season? Would you take it to him being your Messiah and him being your Savior and, and you being his child and a very personal thing that God wants to do? Music is such a, a powerful thing, and we're going to look at Mary's song today. But I thought about it was about Mary's song, but the more I prepared it and the more I went through the message, the more I realized it's really about her journey to the song. And music is very spiritual, uh, I really, I, I discovered that one day. It, it, it actually hits every level of our being. We are created spirit, soul, and body, and music will hit all those spots. And that's why I really mean this. I discovered this one day. I was sitting outside a, a restaurant in a car, and there was a very talented, skilled band playing, and they were singing a beautiful song, not a Christian song, a beautiful song. And it wasn't even glorifying God. And it touched me to the core of my being. And I went, oh my goodness, that felt like worship. I thought, isn't that interesting? So it's my belief, you can do this whatever you want, I can't really prove this, it's my belief that music is a special gift God created that actually hits us in our spirit, our soul, and our body. And that's why beautiful music can move you and maybe being sung by an atheist. How did that happen? Because God 
created music. And it has some, some spiritual power to it. And by the way, I think it has negative power as well as positive power because it seems that's true of anything in this world. So when we think about worship, we often connect it with singing. We often connect it with music. We, we, I, I tried to retrain myself and I couldn't do it because really the definition of singing and music being worship is so limited and so thin compared to what it really is. But then I never could get it. So I'll say worship team and I'll say, wasn't that a wonderful time of worship? And, and really music and singing is worship, but it's not all it is. They sang what it is today, and I mentioned it. It's Romans 12, 1 and 2. It says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, that you offer your bodies as living sacrifices unto God, that you offer your bodies unto God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. So when we offer all of ourselves to God, that's our spiritual act of worship, and there's no mention of a song or singing. In fact, most of the time in the Old Testament, when it says somebody fell down and worshiped God, they just fell down on their face. There was no song, no music. They were just acknowledging, you are God and I am not. You are everything, I am not. And that's worship. But when we think of singing, which I'm all for, and music, and we're going to look at Mary's song in a moment, we, we, we discover that we ask ourselves the wrong questions when it comes to music. We will probably say things like this, am I musically inclined? Am I a good singer? Do I have a good voice? Do I even like music? Do I even like to sing? These are all wrong questions. We, we, can, we can ask ourselves, and, and we do this. It's human nature. Do we like the song? You know there's sometimes a song comes up. If you're going to be honest, yeah, it's not really my favorite song. Uh, but we ask those questions. Is that my, my favorite song? Is that a song I really like? But those are wrong questions. When it comes to worshiping, especially in songs, since we're going to focus a little bit on Mary's song and her journey to her song, the right question is this, do I have something to sing about? There's even a better one, do I have someone to sing about? Do you know how many thousands of songs have been written because some guy or gal's heart was in love and they were in love with somebody and so they write this love song to them. And now they may hate each other a month later, but at that moment it was, oh, I'm in love. Because they said, I have someone to sing about. Well, we have someone to sing about. We, we have someone to sing about. And Jesus actually creates, he creates a reason to sing. I didn't say everything's perfect, but he is. I didn't say everything goes our way, but eternity does. And so we have a, Jesus actually creates in us a reason to sing. So I, I want us to look at those things today, what Jesus does in our lives and how he creates a reason to sing, and to look at this, this story. I've been thinking about, as I hit the Christmas season, about Mary's song has been on my heart for a few weeks. And then I, about 10 years ago, a guy named Ed Roll did a whole series on Christmas songs, and not like Rudolph and Frosty and Joy to the World, but the songs of worship that are in the Christmas story by Zachariah and the angels and Mary and Simeon and all that. And uh, so I credit some of this message to that because I looked at what he said about Mary's song. And I want to pick up on this history lesson about Mary, her song, and our Savior. Now, I'm going to challenge you. We're going to have to be strong today. We're going to have to show our deep, 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 deep commitment to Jesus today. 
because we are going to read 29 verses in the Bible. I know. I know you're going, okay. Okay, I can do it. I can do it. Hey, Darlene and I attended the church before, and they would have a guest speaker every now and then. He would, like, teach entire book of the Bible. And so I do have to confess, when I would show up and he was there and going to speak, I would say, please, please, please be Jude or Third John, and, uh, which, by the way, are little tiny books, and may it not be Hebrews, because he will start in, in chapter 1, verse 1, and will not end until he gets to the very end. So, uh, and I think, I was thinking about commitment, too, and we were watching the, the Chiefs and the Eagles the other night. Anybody catch that game, football game? And, and so I'm watching that. It's like 48 degrees there at, uh, at the Chiefs Stadium, and it is pouring down rain. And there's like, I don't know how much the stadium holds, 60, 70,000 people are enthusiastically sitting in little plastic chairs with ponchos on watching this game. And I started thinking, that game's going to last three hours. They are going to give them a break and give them the privilege of going buying a $10 hot dog and a $10 Coke. They're going to give them the privilege of doing that. And they're going to stay there and root their team on for three hours. By the way, I mean this. I'm not opposed to that. I just was thinking, man, pastors have these fantasies. Well, one day, will I come into church and hours before I arrive, they're tailgating out there, waiting. They're just waiting. Oh, they're lined up at the door. The front row seats go for 2000 apiece. The, the cheap seats back there, 50, 60 bucks a, a, a seat, you know. There's just little fantasies us pastors have. So we're going we're gonna to show our commitment today. Uh, not, not three hours and 48 degrees in the rain, but by looking at 29 verses. But I'm going to help you. We're going to let it be read to us by a dramatized version of these verses. So let's go ahead, get the slides going, get the the audio going. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who is said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word 
from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. getting the end of that was Mary's song she actually broke out into song and but I want us to reflect on this young lady and there's so many things it's, I, I really want you not to say okay it's another Christmas Mary's message no let's look at the truths we can see on Mary's journey and how to apply them to our life to grow spiritually I want you to remember that this young lady who was just told that she was going to have a baby she was not married in fact, she would end up marrying Joseph with a baby on her hip. And that was a very, very anxious moment for her. She did not live in the culture we live in today. Today, people are, are with child without being married, and we don't even think that much about it. That was not the culture that Mary lived in. In uh, Jeremiah 6, the Bible records that Israel had begun to fall away from God it's a very interesting thing. It says, because they did not even blush at their sin. That's very common in our culture today. We don't even blush at sin. But Israel got to a point where they did not even blush at their most detestable of sins. But that was not the culture that Mary lived in. Does anybody remember what the penalty was by Jewish law for someone who was engaged or married who had had, had a a sexual relationship outside of that, that relationship. Does anybody remember what the penalty was? You get stoned to death. That was a potential. So, yeah, cultures have changed a little. And, um, and by the way, I'm for that. I'm glad culture has changed in that arena. And, and Joseph 
said he had decided not to cause any pain or grief or, or death or anything to Mary. He was just going to, you know, separate from her privately and they'd just go about their way. But the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and told him differently. So this was a very anxious moment for this young lady. I suppose she was hoping for what all of us hope for. She was probably thinking to herself, hey, I'm engaged, I'm going to get married, we're going to have some kids, we're going to get a golden retriever, we're going to have a little house with a white picket fence, you know, this is what goes through most people's minds. That's what she was thinking, just a nice, quiet life. Well, hello, Mary, because it's not going to be a nice, quiet life for you. So she's selling into these uncharted waters, the, into the unknown. And sometimes we feel like that with God. But the cool thing about Mary that blows me away is Mary quickly moves from anxiety to acceptance in a pretty short amount of time. In one conversation, short conversation with an angel, she goes for, how can this be, to, I am the Lord's servant. May his May your word be fulfilled in me. Pretty quick accepting the will of the Lord for her life. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm challenged by that because I'm not always that quick. I hope you are, but you may not be either, where you have a word from the Lord. Now, I'm, I'm, I don't mean these vague words like, where should I go to work at or what should I study in school or I'm trying to figure all that out. Uh, we sometimes, we have very specific words from God, from a scripture that we know are solid and steadfast, and we still kind of struggle with that. And I believe we should be more like Mary. Now, maybe an angelic visitation would help us a little bit, but again, some of those real solid words from the Lord we, we struggle with. So I'm going to give you some simple ways to grow and accelerate spiritually. So if you're here today and you feel like you're stuck spiritually or you're not really getting the traction that you need to get, I'm going to give you a couple pointers how to get traction in those areas. And they're, they're pretty simple. Uh, the first one that I want to challenge us with is that we grow at the speed of obedience. We grow at the speed of obedience. We come to a fork in the road, we say, okay, here's, and sometimes, let's be honest, we want to do our own thing, and God's saying, do this thing. Now, again, I'm talking about very specific things shown in the Word. And we say, ah, oh, but I want to do my own thing. And every one of me, you, all of us have had that, every one of us, where we say, but I, I still really want to do my own thing, even though I know God's Word clearly says, do this thing. And we need to move towards obedience. We will grow at the speed of obedience. Now, I said it was simple. I didn't say it was easy because all of us go through all these mental and emotional, you know, hoops that we jump through. And then this is a reality. We're wanting to obey. Part of us does. Part of us wants to do our own thing. And we get bombarded by, we get bombarded by the devil. We get bombarded by our culture that's maybe championing what you want to do that God's word says you shouldn't do. We get bombarded by our own sinful desires. Scripture says that, written to believers, that we get drawn away by our own sinful desires and enticed. And so we got all those things actually screaming at us, don't submit to God's word. Don't do it. Do your own thing. You know, and, and all those voices that are yelling at us in our head. Well, Mary's trip to obedience was pretty fast, 
And so I want to encourage us to be the same way. The faster we obey, the quicker we grow. Now, it's the same ploy of the devil. You and I want to do something. God's word says do this. And he whispers, the devil whispers in our ear, God's trying to hold you back. He knows that that'll be the most joy-filled, fun-filled thing to do, and he doesn't want you to do it. You know, God's a killjoy. He's, he's no fun. But see, God has a goal. I mention this, I say it like this most of the time. God is more interested in you having an incredible life than a really fun weekend. He wants you to have an incredible life. And so what the devil doesn't tell you is that sin ends in death. It's fun for a season, but it ends in death. And Jesus said, but I have come not to steal from you, not to kill you, not to destroy you. I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly, have it overflowing, have it to the fullest measure. So we need to believe Jesus is a truth teller and that the ways he promotes isn't trying to steal anything from us, it's trying to give us life. Let me give you this example. If you are a good parent, and if you've had good parents, now I understand there's bad parents and there's all that, but if you have a, a fairly sane, adjusted, well-adjusted set of parents, they instruct you to do things that are good for you. I know if you're young here, you may say, I'm not so sure about that. Well, if you've got good parents, they really are wanting to protect you and wanting to lead you down a right path. And they've done some life, and they've made some mistakes, and they've lived long enough to see where paths take us. Because remember, every road takes you somewhere. Every road takes you somewhere. So they have discovered that road. I, some of your parents tell you, I've been on that road, and I can tell you where it'll take you, and you don't want to end up there, and so I'm telling you not to do it because I love you. Not because I'm wanting to ruin your fun or steal your life. I want to protect you. And Jesus is even better than the best of parents. So I got some more pointers for us, keys to spiritual growth. Here, here's another thing we need to do. We need to surround ourselves. We need to surround ourselves with people who cheer us on in our relationship with Jesus. Not try to talk us out of it, but cheer us on in our relationship with Jesus. It's interesting because if you hang out with people, you'll find there's people that don't necessarily want to cheer you on. I remember Darlene and I were talking to a couple one time, and we said, we're going to have to leave in a little bit. We have to head to church. I don't know. Does anybody remember the day when we used to have uh, Sunday school and church and Sunday night service and Wednesday night service? I know. It was crazy, wasn't it? It was just crazy. And this was like a Wednesday night service, and they looked at us and said, you're going to church tonight? And I said, yeah, we got Wednesday night service. And they said, wow. They said, I mean, I, we go to church, but... You wouldn't think of doing it on a Wednesday night. So I just said, might as well just blow them away. I said, man, we do Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and sometimes throw in some extra services. And they were just like, I can't fathom that. I was talking to somebody who was in leadership at a church in this region, and we started talking about church and talking about Sunday night service. And this is what this guy said. He said, I am a leader in my church. I live in walking distance from my church, and I would not dream of going there more than once a week. I said, wow, you need to be replacing leadership. I didn't tell him that, but that's what I was thinking in my head, because that basically, I'm not going to encourage you to go after God. I'm going to discourage you. 
I was at Franklin College, and I would share my faith with people. And I had a spiritual advisor. I've told this story before. He was, he would, they would come, different people from churches. And I was sharing my faith with somebody. And I was respectful and kind as I did. I wasn't like, you know, ranting and yelling or spitting on anybody. I was sharing my faith. And, and the guy asked me, he said, would you step out in the hall? I'd like to share with you for a minute. And I said, sure. So I stepped out in the hall. He was a spiritual leader for one of the churches. And here, here was his words to me. He said, I used to be like you, wanting to save the world. You'll grow out of it. That's horrible advice to give somebody. And thank the Lord, I never did grow out of it. Thank the Lord. And you don't have to grow out of it either. I do not want to surround myself with somebody like him that hears me share my faith and says, you know, just knock it off, man. Knock it off. You know, we, we, want, to, we want people that will cheer us on in our journey. Now, everybody's cheering you on towards something. When I was at Franklin College, um, and, and seriously, there was two things. One, I liked people and they liked me. But many of them did not know the Lord as their Savior, so I would witness it to them. And Wednesday night, I would head off to church somewhere, and they were, Wednesday night was party night at Franklin College. I don't know if it still is, but it was party night there. And so they, it, was, it was going to be strawberry daiquiri night. And so they said, hey, Tracy, let us make you a strawberry daiquiri. I said, can you make it without the alcohol? They said, yeah, you can make it without the alcohol. Well, first, no, first of all, they said this. They said, you can't even taste the alcohol in it. And I said, great, then make me one without the alcohol. And they said, ah, we can't make you one without the alcohol. I said, why not? I said, because the alcohol makes you feel good. And I said, I already feel good. So make me one without the alcohol. They would not make me one without the alcohol because I think they wanted to see, can we get probably one, wonder why he looks like drunk. Okay, they probably were wondering that, but it, it never happened. So not everyone's cheering you on. Some are saying, I want you to join in with what we're doing, and you'll find a little network of people who want to draw you into their sin. The scripture talks about that, and they're so sin motivated, they even think of new ways to do sin. And so I want to encourage us, surround yourself with people to cheer you on in your relationship with Jesus. Now, Mary knew that. She's in a tough situation. Do you know probably, honestly, how many people believed when they said, you're pregnant, Mary? She said, yeah, it, it was supernatural from the Holy Spirit. Well, that's one I haven't heard before, but uh, okay. Uh, so Mary needs some support here, and she knows exactly where to go. She doesn't need condemnation. She doesn't need name-calling. She doesn't need shame or guilt. And by the way, she's doing something that is truly of the Lord. I want to say this properly. When we're sinning and disobeying God, there should be a certain element of shame and guilt. Now, I want to say this properly. We don't need to live there, set up camp there. That shame and guilt is actually there to say, you're doing something wrong. You're doing something sinful. Now, you have a choice that's, let me find a bunch of people that will tell me it's not sinful. That's one of our choices. Or maybe, you know what? That's not right. I'm going to what? I'm going to make a choice to go after God. I'm going to obey God. And then the devil will try to make you feel guilty and shame-filled for all the wrong choices you made in the past. And I say, just cut it off and say, no, I'm not going to walk in shame and guilt. Because the Bible says, I love the Bible, the Bible says this in Hebrews, it says that Jesus comes to even cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Praise the Lord. God doesn't want you to live in shame and 
guilt. He wants you to obey and go after God. So she goes to this champion of hers, her relative, who's seasoned, who's godly. She doesn't just look out for anyone. She looks for the seasoned person, and Elizabeth is it. And Elizabeth champions Mary. That's why as I started creating the message, I realized, you know, it's really more about her journey to the song. It's not just about the song, it's her journey to the song. From anxiety to acceptance to, hold it, I need, I need a, a group of seasoned godly people who will help me through this. And she gets there. Even Elizabeth recognizes the Messiah in her. Says, oh my goodness, why am I so honored to have the mother of my Lord? And if you read, it's capital L. God, Savior, Lord is visiting her. So you got to have a, a tribe. You got to have a, a family. You got to have a group of people, some friends that really say, I want to encourage you in your walk with God. I want to encourage you to go after God. And Elizabeth has that, thank the Lord. Now, this is such a big deal that the devil knows it and the devil uses it because he knows that you're going to kind of turn into and you're kind of going to be like those people that you surround yourself who have a major influence in your life. We may not like to hear that, but that's the truth. Who's influencing your life? You will become like those people. Now, we're supposed to influence people but not let the world influence us. Here's the way it happens. You'll notice that in your life and in the life of others that if you have a a drawing towards a certain area of sin, that um, the devil wants to surround you with people who will encourage you and tell you that's not a big deal. It's not a problem. Let's say, because this is big in our culture, so I'm only picking on it because it's relatable to the culture. I'm not picking on it because your friend or neighbor sent in a card and said, please, you know, try to get Johnny or Mary with this topic. This is just big in the, in the world. The Bible talks about having a partying spirit. Now, it does. It really does. If you go to Galatians 5, and we're not going to turn there, but Galatians 5, 19 through 21, it lists all kinds of sins, sins of our flesh. It says, here's what the Spirit wants to do in Galatians 5, and here's what your flesh wants to do. Now, before we beat anybody up, your flesh and my flesh want to do wrong things. The Holy Spirit wants to do right things in us. When we do right things, we're blessed. When we do sinful things, God says sin in the end produces death. It produces an area of death in our lives. So we want to stay away from sin and embrace the Holy Spirit. So if you read through Galatians 5, 19 through 21, it'll list like 15 different sins of the flesh. Now, you may read through those, and when you get done, think, I'm not doing so bad. There's only three or four of those that I'm really into. You know, 11 to 12 of them, I don't like. 11 to 12 of them are disgusting to me. 11 to 12 of them, they're sinful. So, hey, preacher, if you want to preach on those 11 to 12, go for it, man, because they all need to know that's all bad stuff. But the three or four that I'm into, would you please keep your mouth off of those things? You know, I'm not interested in hearing about that. But then someone like me comes along and says, hey, let's preach on all 15 of them. Well, here's Satan's scheme. Here's how it works. We talk about all 15 of them. And he'll whisper in your ear, man, can you believe this guy? I mean, he's standing up there like he's never sinned. What a hypocrite. Do you really want to sit under a hypocrite? You don't want to do that. 
Oh my gosh, so judgmental. Now then he'll start telling you lies. These lies are rampant in the culture, always have been, okay? But he'll start telling you lies. Man, you, you just need to go someplace where, where they're like Jesus. That sounds spiritual. And then the enemy will say, because Jesus, he never judged. That's a lie. Jesus was always encouraging. He was always supportive. He was always accepting of everyone and their ways. That's a lie. You say, well, I, I don't believe that. Okay, I just, I'm serious about that. I challenge you to read the Bible. Pick one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, follow Jesus around, and see his encounters with people, and you'll see he judged things. This is wrong, this is right. You'll see that he challenged people. He told the rich young ruler who he said, the rich young ruler, he said, how, how should you live? He said, I should obey the commands. And Jesus said, you have spoken rightly. And he said, all these commands I've obeyed since my youth. And Jesus didn't argue with him. And Jesus says, I want to tell you something else. You are crazy in love with money and possessions and things. And it's gotten out of balance to where it's your God. Go sell it all, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And the Bible says that he left sorrowful because he was very wealthy. And the Bible also says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. But he told him the truth. Then he'll say, you know what, it's probably time for you to find another church. And if you can't find another church, then maybe it's just time for you to give up on that organized religion. Now, I love it when you're witness somebody and they say, well, I don't really go to church because I'm not into organized religion. Now, when you ask them, what's that mean? They go, I don't know, I've just always heard that. No one ever challenged it before. So I just always say, I'm not into organized religion. And whoever's witnessing to me says, I don't know what to say about that. I know what to say about Jesus was into organized religion. He went, he was... On the Sabbath day in the temple, that was his regularity. It's fairly organized. He said, I'm going to go to a place of worship. King David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I guess we'd call that organized religion. Now, I don't think we ought to organize Jesus out of it, but it's kind of organized today. I mean, we have a start time. and For those of you who are guests here, we have no stop time, but we have a start time, and... Uh, it won't be that bad. So surround yourself with people who can support you because the devil will say, I want you to surround yourself with people who will encourage you to live the way you want to live. I want to surround you with people who will say, you just do you, you live your thing, you're, you're old enough to figure it out, it'll all be fine, don't listen to all those Bible thumpers, don't listen to, you know, the preacher, just find yourself some friends. And by the way, some of the sin that you want to get involved in, you may not find a good network of friends. And so the devil has a network for you. I'm very serious about this. It's called the Internet. He will send you to, a, there's, there's a group for anything you can think of on the Internet, and he'll send you to a group of people on the Internet to befriend you, to tell you everything you're doing is fine and wonderful and God's fine with it and don't worry about it. So we need to surround ourselves with people who challenge us to go after God. Not be hateful, not be mean, not be ugly about it, but challenge us. Because when we surround ourselves with the wrong people, they will never challenge us to obey God's word. They will never challenge us to know God's word. They will never challenge us to submit to God's word. They will never challenge us to have a life of worship and adoration before the Lord. Satan won't tell you, and neither will your partners in sin, that sin is fun only for a season. By the way, sin is fun. I heard a preacher say one time, 
He said, sin is fun. And if you're sinning and not having fun, you're doing it wrong. Because the Bible says it's fun. It's pleasurable. It's enjoyable. But only for a season. Only for a little while. And then I'm not saying you'll fall over dead, but it produces death in certain areas of your life where you let sin reign and rule. And they'll never tell you that. But I can tell you that one day you'll regret the day you forsook the loving counsel of a believer, a friend, a family member, or the word of God. I don't have this on the overhead, so jot it down, look it up later. Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. A friend will tell you the truth because they love you, and it will hurt, but it's meant to heal. In 1 Corinthians 4, 14 through 16, Paul tells these people, you got a lot of people who want to tell you what to do. You may have 10,000 guardians, but you don't have many fathers. And he said, I'm a father to you because of the gospel, and I encourage you to imitate me. He also says in that, I'm not, what I'm about to say to you, because this is important, he said, what I'm about to say to you, Paul said to the Corinthian believers, is not to shame you. I'm not saying this to shame you. I'm saying this, I want to help you and teach you as my dearly loved children. There really are people who love you and want to speak into your life because they love you. So we can feel anxious about changing the way we think because that's all we know. We can feel anxious about the choices we're going to make. We can think, be anxious because, boy, to, to go after God the way I really should go after him, it'll take altering my lifestyle, changing the friends that I hang with, finding people who champion my faith. I, I have to get away from those who say, hey, slow down on this Jesus stuff and just come with me to the party. You need to relax. No, where we say, hey, I need some people who encourage me in the Lord. And by the way, for many of us, well, for all of us, it's a lifetime journey, but we move forward with speed as we obey and as we surround ourselves with the right people. But Jesus comes to give us abundant life. So what happened to Mary was she first was filled with anxiety. Very quickly, she moved to acceptance. But before we ended the story, she was in adoration. Her soul burst forth into song as she adored what was going on in her life and how big and wonderful and beautiful God is. And we know the season. We know the Christmas song. Oh, come, let us adore him. That's where we want to move to. We want to move from anxiety to acceptance to adoration where we adore him, adore him. This season is about that. And as we pause and just relax, trust God and say, I believe you got my best in mind and you yield yourself to him then you have something to sing about. And you have someone to sing about, someone to adore. When Mary accepted this costly call of God on her life, it quickly moved to adoration. So let's make fresh decisions today that we're going to go after God. We're going to come to this table, and it shows us that Jesus was all in. It shows us that Jesus went from anxiety. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he was anxious. And he went from anxiety to acceptance and acceptance to adoration. Adoration of what? Adoration of us. He adored us. He adored the will of the Father. And he broke his body and shed his blood so you and I could have eternal life.
So on this first Sunday of the season, we move from the birth to the death, which always ends up being a celebration of his resurrection. 